0: Están escuchando el viaje medianoche con el gran guillermo. Este sinofilo lo va a llevar fantasmal por niñas y niñas. You're listening to The Midnight Ride. Hey gang, what's up? It is William. I'm back with another episode here where we're going to be talking about two films. First of which is 1984's The Company of Wolves. The Wolves. Little Wolfie. This film uh, is actually the only film I've ever seen prior to covering it on the show. I, I have a rule. For those that don't know... This um, uh, series I do at Halloween, partially inspired by Show Show and, and friends that do sort of Halloween festivities and also uh, just the need to get more horror films in my life. Uh, I love horror, but I seem to have gotten away from it a little bit as I get older. Uh, not that I feel I've grown out of it, but I just feel the genre is a bit stale. So with a lot of, um, a lot of similar eyes on the genre, it allows me a chance to see a lot of films I, I didn't catch or wouldn't have caught otherwise. So I ask friends with good taste to program uh, an episode where they pick a film, and the one rule I have is that I have not seen it. Now, I made an exception this time for a good friend, fellow Canuck, Courtney, married to the lovely Christian uh, from a very uh, wonderful part of the country, and uh, she picked, as I said, 1984 is The Company of Wolves, or Wolves, uh, if you're not uh, speaking with a shoddy Germanic accent. Uh, I had seen this, and, but mind you, I hadn't seen all of it. Um, the last time I had seen this, my five-year-old self walked into the room during an early transformor, trans- yeah, transformation, a Um <laughs> do an early transformation scene where someone uh, is turned into a were- turning into a werewolf, and they're very melty, and they pull off their face, and. For years. So, for the better part of 30 years, this film scarred me as the most horrifying transformation and the most horrifying thing I'd seen in a horror film. Um, and I watched a lot of shit. I mean, I grew up in the VHS age, as we've often talked about. I, you know, grew up on Creep Show and Texas Chainsaw Massacre and the Namor Elm Street films and everything that all the boys and girls of our generation that loved horror and whose parents loved horror grew up with. But for some reason, this one struck a nerve. It was just melty and gross, and I remember him looking at his hand, and it was all kind of dripping and bone, and And we'll get to that here in a minute. I, I want to talk about the, the backstory, uh, as it were, for this film. So, uh, Company of Wolves, oh man, I can't get this title right. I just called it The Co- Company of Wolves. Uh, the Company of Wolves is directed by Neil Jordan, who's a very interesting filmmaker, uh, one who isn't a horror director, as it were. Uh, he does a lot of films over in Britain. Um, this was, I think, his first... I believe it was uh, the first film he directed. No, second film. First one was Was Angel, which um, Stephen Reed he worked with, who he's worked with at other points in his career. Actually sounds like a good film. Murder, saxophones... Uh, right up my alley. Anyway, uh, this was his second film, though, that he directed. He went on to do uh, The Butcher Boy, Michael Collins, The Crying Game, and a few other things along the way, Ondine, or Ondine. Byzantium, which, coincidentally, uh, for my money, is one of the absolute best vampire films to come out in the past uh, 15 or 20 years. Um, That and... um uh, what's it called? Jim Jarmish's Only Lovers Left Alive, two fantastic vampire films from the past few years in an otherwise tired and stale genre or subgenre. Um, but this film really looks at uh, sort of fairy tale qualities surrounding werewolves and the sexual allusions to men being beasts and being sexual predators and just being predators in general. Uh, the cover itself is pretty iconic and pretty horrifying in its own way you have very much a a little red riding hood of sorts and a man who's in mid-transformation as the full moon um, comes out. Um, And, yeah, so the film, I was curious to see now how I would approach this material and being a grown man, what it would mean to me and and sort of the the message that it was conveying versus sort of very surface, fairy tale, Quality and aesthetic. Uh, I will say the film, interestingly, co-stars Angela Lansbury as Granny, and she puts in a really good little performance as Granny. They put a little powder in her hair uh, for the role, um, but she's the Granny, and she's telling her granddaughter uh, cautionary tales about men. Um, she tells them never to trust a man whose eyebrows meet. I think is the line. Uh, it also stars David Warner, very very serviceable character actor who did a lot of films. Uh, in Britain, but also, of course, uh, in America as well, he worked and he was, he's always a, a very competent, um, actor. My favorite turn from him is probably is the intrepid journalist in The Omen. Um, but yeah, he's, uh, he's good. He's very good. He's a man Manche- a son of Manchester. So very cool. Um, Stephen Ree is in this. He plays the young groom. Uh, some other actors and actresses I'm not overly familiar with. Um, Georgia Slow plays the uh, one of the leads in the film Alice, which is you know a bit of a nod, of course, to Alice in Wonderland, this fairy tale world, and and what have you. Um, but yeah, the film really uh, visually does evoke a very dreamlike fairy tale like feel and. One of the things that impresses me, as I always, whenever I see in a film, is when you see things done practically, Um, when I watch Alien, when I rewatch Alien, I'm always in awe of the production design and the work that Giger put into it and that everyone put into that film and, you know, the big MGM musicals of the 50s and how beautiful and colorful they are and the costumes that had to be made and the uh, sets that had to be painted and constructed and with this film we get a fully realized uh, little village that is uh, aesthetically it's turned up a little bit it's heightened to feel fairy tale um and it just it is a very it's very very well done uh you know it creates this tangible kind of fairy tale slash nightmarish world um and uh i don't know why what this note means now but i one of my notes was that this was Little Red Riding Hood slash Alice in Wonderland. Oh, on a bad acid trip in the Czech Republic. Sorry, because it reminds me a little bit in spots of, was it Valerie and her Week of Wonders? I think it is. Which, of of course, is Alice in Wonderland, essentially. Um, and that was actually my next one. If I had read further down, I would have seen that. Now, one of the things I find interesting about the film is um, the wolves we see sort of... St- stalking and hunting at different points in the film. You know, we're led to believe that you know, different directors have and writers have different interpretations of what a final transformation of a human to a werewolf is. Some keep it more upright, like I think they do in howling, some have them on all fours, um, you know, some have kind of a bit of both, so, but this it'll, it shows us the wolves as wolves that um, there's a full transformation from man to wolf, not sort of a wolf-man. Uh, and it's funny, because the wolves in this, I wonder if Jordan had seen Marquette Lazarova because the wolves in this, with their eyes glowing and the way, there's some really, really fantastic shots of them running around and hunting and running through the woods and jumping over logs and all sorts of stuff. It really was reminiscent of the uh, the blackened wolves we see in Marquette Lazarova. So, which is another reason I kind of felt like maybe Jordan's a fan of the Czech New Wave because between Valerie and um, Marquette, actually Marquette is probably maybe. Are either film Czech or am I being <laughs> am I being an idiot right now? I want to say they're both. Well, they're both Eastern Bloc. Um, so I'm going to take a look and see as we uh, as we t- okay. So I'm one for one. Marquette Lazarova is Czech and Valerie. and her week of wonders his Czech, I'm two for two but I have to wonder if he he is um, very much uh, a fan of the Czech new wave because I feel like his film is influenced by that um, there's even a really cool film oh, good friend in Dane Alan Loftiger recommended to me Title escapes me right now, but I, I, I like the, the the subtext we get in the fairy tales and and the way a lot of things are told through kind of camp t- campfires and um, there there's a lot of subtext in a lot of the films um, because of the age that they came out and then you know subversive certainly um, but uh, yeah um, everyone does a pretty good job acting wise I mean there's a couple of people I don't really care for in the film but. Most of the principles are quite good. Georgia Slow is beautiful as Alice. I think she was 18 when she made the film. She's really a good-looking girl. She kind of reminds me of like an Olivia Hussey type uh, when Olivia Hussey was younger, sort of post-Romeo and Juliet, certainly. um, More buxom. A bit um, Kelly Brooke, a little bit, who I'm a huge fan of. Um, (laughs) But... uh, Yeah, um, we see early on death and trauma with children in films, and this is something we rarely see in films nowadays, and I think, um, when you look at, um, lost my train of thought to to a large point there, when you look at films that have it, as long as it's not done sort of in a cheap and exploitative way, it can really pack a wallop, and we see that in the film, it's certainly very effective, um... Yeah, and and really the film does look a lot at, uh, you know, the budding sexuality, um, you know, coming of age and a lot of tales that are told to keep people on the straight and narrow. Like I think Granny tells Alice, once you stray from the path, you're lost entirely and you're going to end up like your sister. And a lot of times back then things were told and and lessons about life... um, were told through kind of campfire tales and tales from the dinner table and stuff which is a little different than it is nowadays certainly with um, internet and instructional <laughs> films and things like that but uh, it really was the time and that was a, lot of, a lot of things were, were handed down um, the... yeah, never trust a man whose eyebrows meet I think was is the, is the line in fact that uh, Granny gives which is kind of humorous um, Certain parts of the world have men whose eyebrows mostly meet. So, it's unfortunate. Um, I like the line that Granny says, which works quite well when she says, the worst kind of wolves are hairy on the inside. And uh, I've often joked around that uh, myself, I, instead of being a sheep, a wolf in sheep's clothing, I feel like a bit of a sheep in wolves' clothing at times. And... <laughs> I like that it, it looks at that and sort of the, 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 the uh, trickery and deceit that can kind of goes, goes on sometimes with people that are monstrous on the inside versus the outside. Uh, we get a lot of Fulci fog in this film. Jordan doesn't spare any expense with that. Uh, there's, some head, there's a hedgehog in this. And I have to say, uh, hedgehogs are ridiculously cute. Just ridiculously cute. So um, I kind of want a hedgehog now as a pet. I don't know how practical that is. But uh, I think I'd like one after seeing this film. Um, one of the young children, he had to be no older than one or two. He has an amazing Hulk Hogan skullet. Uh, we see this early on in the film. And I know his hair has to grow in. I hope for his sake it does because he has the Hogan skullet early on. Um, I like just you know the commentary. We get this a lot, of course, with... Uh, with wolves and the sort of the split nature of man and, and man's innate nature. Um, and just the way it, man is animal and how he comes and goes as he pleases. And when he's out as an animal, what is he doing? And it, well, what is he stalking? And I just, I like that. It's interesting from a male perspective because, uh, you know, men don't always have the insight to honestly look inside themselves and comment on, on man's nature. Um, i do see here that angela carter uh, wrote it alongside um sadly died very young 52 years old alongside jordan and um uh burr, 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 burr. Oh, she, okay so angela carter wrote the story and the screenplay alongside jordan so the source material comes from a woman i was going to say it feels very much like it came from a woman the insight into uh, you know, masculinity and and man, it works really well, and it it always tends to come from female filmmakers, I feel like. Um, We get Terrence, I want to say it's Terrence Stamp shows up at one point, and, uh, is it Terrence Stamp? Yeah, okay, so he's uncredited in the film, though, but uh, he shows up as the devil with this young blonde, and he's in this kind of white Nazi fucking outfit, and there's a chauffeur, and, it's, uh, I think they're in either Bentley or Rolls. I feel a bit embarrassed for not knowing which one it was, but uh, he's got a great little turn, and I wish there was kind of more stamp, but he's not really needed in the film. It would be a bit distracting from, I think, a lot of the other stuff going on. Um, there's a guy in this, he's courting Alice, and he's just a really obnoxious little troll. he's missing his front tooth, and uh, man, he bothered me. Shane Johnston I think is his name and he is just awful and he's got the worst hat in the history of cinema it's just terrible terrible um, theres I'm looking at I have a know here about eggs and eggs symbolizing fertility and flowers blooming we get th- we get sort of stuff focusing on this and I think it's sort of the very awareness of, of the fertility of, of the woman and as you become a woman and, and you know, from transitioning from a, a girl, the realization of fertility and, and so forth. So I, I like all that. Now the film does meander a little bit for me, um, towards probably about the halfway point until the back end. It it's it's fine. I mean, it looks fantastic, but for me, someone I don't like period stuff, um, sort of British period stuff. It just it's dry as plain Melba toast for me. Um, so that might have been why I might have felt it more acutely than someone who has no problem with that. But there's a kind of a really good scene, a dinner transformation scene where we get a bunch of dogs in wigs, which works quite well. And um, I got to say, Alice looks fantastic in the red cloak, sort of the little red riding hood. Um, visually, again, strong film. There's, there's blood on the snow at one point and some great shot of shots of the wolves at night at the back end. And <coughs> I don't know why I have this, but. Uh, apparently, there's a werewolf in this who looks like Ronnie James Theo. That's great. Um, yeah, and I think you know what? I don't have really a whole lot of more notes. Kind of getting into repeating myself here, but um, the film's definitely a treat. I think the way it looks at the material, uh, the way it crafts a fairy tale aesthetic, a beautifully realized world, much like you know watching *Neverending Story* a few weeks ago. Just trees, everything's lovingly rendered. You get great performances across the board. It is a bit passive in its pace, though, which may not work for some. But I think there's enough going on in terms of subtext and aesthetics to keep you engaged regardless, though. And a and different vamp- uh, werewolf film than we're used to seeing. So it's definitely a treat, as it were. And uh, good recommend uh, and good on you, Courtney, for that one. We're going to take a break, and I'm going to come back. And we're going to jump over to this side of the pond, but we're going to go south of the border (coughs) to Mexico for Don't Panic. South of us Medianoche Paseo Hey everyone, what's up? That was terrible and a little bit embarrassing But I'm back And uh, we're going to be talking about 1988's Ruben Galindo Jr. film Don't Panic um, Which uh, oddly, if you look at it on, on IMDb You have to really dig deep to find it You're better served to Google Don't Panic 1988. And then uh, look it up that way. Uh, this is also known as Dimensiones Occultas uh, Secreto de la Ouija uh, in France. It's known as Virgil, La Maledicion. Uh Yeah, so there you go. Lots of other titles that uh, I won't pull a Sammy and, <laughs> and slog through here. Um, this was programmed by a good friend with impeccable taste in music and film. Uh, Texas man, David Austin. Um, I have a really big weakness for 80s Mexican junk, uh, sort of junky, fun Mexican film. Um, I think that there's something I find really engaging, charming, fascinating about a lot of the low-budget genre fare made in Mexico that was never really meant for... American eyes, or, or English-speaking eyes, um, you know, that through the wonders of technology, we've been able to see a lot of the stuff get uh, fan subs and things like that. Stuff like The Infernal Rapist, and Incepidos Punks, and, and a lot of other films that uh, of its ilk, uh, really good, fun drive-in fare. And it just seems like the Mexican stuff, despite there being such a large Spanish pop- Hispanic population in America, there just doesn't seem to be enough of this stuff making its way Uh, Over in terms of DVDs, in terms of fan subs, and things like that. And it's a real shame, because I think people that love kind of schlocky, campy, fun, energetic, kind of Z-grade stuff um, would have a blast with the Mexican stuff of the the late 70s and into the early 90s. Um, I'd wanted to see this one for some time, uh, because of the sort of having the hook of being kind of a, a Mexican Nightmare on Elm Street riff, um, <clears throat> and also Ruben Galindo Jr. comes from a long line of filmmakers with uh Father Ruben Galindo, uh, having been very prolific. Uh, did Santo films, he did a ton of stuff, cop films. Uh, I want to say one of them did Night of a Thousand Cats. Um, and I should look that up, but I've just discovered that Ruben Galindo Sr. did a film called Narco Terror in uh, 1985 that uh, I think I got to track down with Eduardo Yanez. Um, i probably got to see this at some point, somehow. Yeah, it's got a good cast. It's got Juan Guiardo in it. Um, so, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it just, I uh, wish this stuff wasn't so hard to find. Um, so it's got kind of that hook. And um, it's apparently got this film does look like it was um, intended to be sold to an international market uh, because of you know it comes actually has an English dub so and the lead in it who uh, I'm going to look at here in just a moment um, he's very much uh, John Michael Bischoff who you know German I guess German uh, Mexican German. Which there's a surprising number of uh, Dutch and German Mexicans, (laughs) which I was kind of surprised about. But um, there's a fair bit of them. He's very blonde, curly-haired, looks like he has a perm. He kind of looks like, to me, Judge Reinhold. Um, So, yeah. But uh, they open the film, the English dub uh, opens the film, and um, they kind of try to shoehorn in, at least I think they did, they shoehorn in that... um, uh, John Michael's character, who I'm going to look up the name here in just a moment. Uh, br- 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 michael <laughs> He, uh, he's just moved here from Beverly Hills to live with his mom. And, uh, they kind of just let it, you know, this way they can kind of work around him looking sort of, uh, blonde hair and fair skinned versus everyone else looking a little bit darker, or a little bit darker. Um... And that was the time, really, the mid '80s of all this trickery that was going on with VHS and what have you. I can't tell you how many times you would see new covers, like in the '80s at the time, a new covers shot, and you know, just like with a, a white backdrop with two girls with guns or some bizarre cover that was very clearly shot of the time. And the film, meanwhile, was a drive-in film from the late '60s or early '70s that had gotten the public domain, and they were trying to get squeeze a few extra bucks out of it. Um, uh, yeah, it happened all the time. So, this uh, was that time for trickery. Um, the, yeah, but what's his name? Michael, he is so, like, permed curly hair in this film. It's amazing. Um, the film deals with something that was really popular in the 80s, and then ironically, I think, uh, is getting a little bit of a resurgence with uh, a film about this sort of subject matter later this month. Uh, Ouija board, or Ouija, which, uh, whichever way you want to pronounce it, Ouija, I, I grew up saying Ouija board, so I'll just say Ouija board, um, it deals with a Ouija board, and, and some kids using one, and, cause I think there's a movie called Ouija, or Ouija, coming out later this month, um, so yeah, let's see here, yeah, it is, so, <clears throat> um, I don't know why I have Virgil in quotations. Perhaps that's a character in the film. Um, there's a lot of... See, one of the things I really love about a lot of the 80s Mexican stuff is the hair, the fashion. They really go for it. There's no kind of wallflowers. I mean, they fucking go for it. Um, there's sparkling belt buckles in this. There's people wearing denim suede, you know, it's like jean jackets that are have sort of suede accents in them. Um, there's a lot of really great stuff, uh, (laughs) in terms of fashion in this film. Um, I have to say that, uh, what's great about Michael is he knows how to play his cards. He's trying to sneak into, I think it's his private school, if I remember correctly. It's been a few weeks now since I've seen it. Um, he's trying to sneak into his, uh, his, um, his private school and, uh, He can't get in. The security guard says, no, no, it's closed, and blah, blah, blah. This and that, you can't get in. So he pulls out the magazine Louis, which is a French porno mag that I remember from my youth. Um, And he gives it to the security guard to squeeze in the front gates. So he knows how to play his cards, pulling out the Louis magazine. Um, Lots of hot licks, and that's always appreciated. Now, Michael has some friends who are up to no good, which I'll talk about as, as we go on here, but I've never seen teenagers with shoulders as hairy as some of his friends. It's uh, it's pretty impressive, uh, indeed. Um, there's a really great recurring thing here with uh, a true love and a magic rose and... I don't want to give too much of it away, but it's one of those things you see that it's just so bonkers and it's so ridiculous. you kinda to of have to see it to believe it. Um, another thing you really have to see to believe is, and anyone who's seen this film, I guarantee you, this is one of the first things they mention is Michael spends most of the film. See, it, it does this thing of trying to throw you off as far as um, is he dreaming? Is he awake? Is he really doing this? Is he not? Is he going crazy? Is he not? And a lot of times he gets into bed and he's got these amazing <laughs> dinosaur pajamas, and he's like a grown man. Like he's even if he's late teens, he's still like fully grown. And the pajamas he has on with a, I think it's got like a, a bront- if I'm like a brontosaurus and something, or it's, it's got a couple dinosaurs on it. And these pajamas are designed for like a six year old, like a four year old and uh he wears them through most of the film like it's just it's so baffling but it's one of those things that i love seeing in films i love seeing little accents and and quirks like that um he witnesses a kill and he makes the worst i have to take a shit face in the history of cinema it's just it's exceptional um The film is not quite as bonkers as I expect, but I think with Mexican films of this ilk, uh, I'm always looking for them to be insane. So when they're not insane, um, I just get a little disappointed, which is unfair. I'm bringing my own expectations versus what the film's trying to deliver. Um, But there are some good kills in the film. Um, A girl gets unicorned, which is pretty wild. You can figure that one out for yourself. Um, there's uh, there's more than a couple nods to Elm Street in this, like uh, the obvious thing with the, the killer, and he's kind of very one liney and quippy, and ha ha ha, you know, a lot of cackling and stuff. Um, gets a bit grating towards the back end with the final set piece, like he's really like he's getting paid per cackle at that point. Um, but there's a moment when uh, Michael's in school. <laughs> And something happens. It's very much like the scene in Nightmare on Elm. Street won with um, <coughs> Tina and Nancy in the classroom and the body bag and all that. Um, yeah. But uh, the film does use blood quite well. It's got a great color to it. It's not that kind of bright red Italian or, or Japanese uh, blood. It, it looks good. It looks very good. Um Michael has an incredibly hot teacher, Uh, I love 80s Mexican women with big hair, and his teacher is one, Uh, just fantastic. Um, His mom is very boozy, so it feels a bit 90210 at times. Um, What else does it say here? Teacher is a a dream master? I don't remember what that means. Um... (laughs) I assume it has something to do with her helping him. I can't recall now. Um, He also, what's also great about Michael is, other than his penchant for five-year-old boy pajamas, he rides his bicycle everywhere, which is uh, kind of endearing. And, you know, we seem to forget a lot of times up until this age now where kids are wanting to grow up sooner and faster, a lot of us did ride our bikes all over the place when we were younger. Um the film also reminds me of a film that i feel like and i could be putting my foot in my mouth when i say this because i feel like at the time when i saw it i really dug it and i thought it had a good tone is uh i think it's called brain scan with edward furlong where he's really into video gaming and he he gets this game where you can go around killing people and he hears this voice and uh the trickster or something and <clears throat> and you don't know if it's him killing or if it's imagination. I kind of get a vibe, like a brain scan, if that's what the film's called, uh, vibe from this film as well. Um, so yeah, uh, the film's brutal though and bloody in spots. So I mean, I got to give it to that; they don't uh, they don't shy away. I just think they spend too much time on the love interest and the magical rose stuff, which which is fine, and it's it's pretty amazing to have a magical rose play a key part in your film, but they don't focus on it enough uh on the the horror proper enough and i have to say now that i think about it the boozy mother fits in much like um is it nancy heather Lane camp's mother in part one i think she was a recovering alcoholic in the film um we get a dude <clears throat> one of uh michael's friends in this he is the least imposing man with a shotgun in the history of cinema it's just uh it's just amazing um, <clears throat> this film features a supporting role From one of my Favorite uh, Mexican actors Who sadly just passed away in 2012 Wasn't that old either He was uh, 60, 70 years old Which maybe sounds old to some But not to me it doesn't um, Jorge Luke Who was in a film that I fucking love That I um, I Politely asked Sylvan Gold to review <laughs> A long time ago, and they obliged because they're just peaches. Uh, that's the film *La Cumbia Assassina, or *Killer Cumbia*, I think it is. Um, it is so good and so sleazy. Um, it has a, a, a sleazy detective named Dracula. Um, you really got to see it. It's uh, it's something else, and uh, you can listen to their episode, and they'll uh, they'll be able to kind of fill you in on. Uh, on everything, but it's uh yeah. Uh La Cumbia Assassina, nineteen ninety one. Directed by Christian Gonzalez with uh Sebastian Ligarde, Eva Garbo, and Jorge Luke. It's just a, a tremendously sleazy film. It's a lot of fun. But then he shows up and uh it's amazing as he's a cop and I'm loving it. Um and uh what does this say? Oh, but he's dubbed. His dubbing, he's done very much like an East Coast, like New Jersey cop, which is kind of humorous. Um, we get more magical roses. They float, which is outstanding. Lots of cackling. Um, they really, really go to the well with... There's a musical sting like they use over and over. Um, I, can't, I can't even do the sound, but I feel like I've heard it somewhere before. But they uh, Galindo uses it, like he milks that cow hard... Uh, it's pretty great. And they even end the film in a boiler room, which is, of course, um, a certain striped sweater-wearing man's uh, bat cave is a boiler room. So, um, yeah, he's very cackly, very quippy. And what's great is you get that thing happening in horror films where you think the bad guy's dead, and then he jumps up. In this one, he goes, he fakes his you know his death, and then he goes, Ha, 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 April Fool, sucker. And, uh, it's pretty great. He's pretty animated. Um, I really want to see the Bollywood Nightmare on Elm Street now. I think it's longer and more musical, (laughs) possibly. But I feel like I have to see it. Um, I wish Bollywood had more films like this that were just sleazy, trashy, and not as musical. Um... My last note is uh, that wind blown hair uplifting ending. There's a really great kind of ending to this film. Um, in case you can't tell, this was definitely a treat, not a trick. Um, I enjoyed it quite a bit. It wasn't quite as bonkers as I, I would have hoped, but maybe I'm contradicting myself because when you get floating roses and these fucking dinosaur pajamas, and um, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on. It's a fun little film. If you like junky, fun, Mexican cinema, I think this will certainly be in your wheelhouse. Um, So that's it for this episode. Uh, Next time I'm going to come back with uh, a hat trick uh, in Canadian parlance with uh, The Innocents, Blood on Satan's Claw, and Night Train to Terror. One of these things is not like the other. So that's it, guys. Adios. Alright, alright, you've been listening to The Midnight Ride with Large William, baby. Stay tuned for another episode where we bring the pumpkin to the bumpkins and the hangman's rope to the city foe. How? Mr. Hyde, Dr. Jekyll, he l'avait en lui. Mr. Hyde, qui était son mauvais génie. Mr. Hyde, ne disait rien. Mais secret, n'en pensez pas moins. Je que je ne suis pas Dr. Hyde, Mr. Hyde. Dr. eu dans sa vie que des petites garçons qui se de lui. Mr. Hyde, dans son cœur.